What was it like in reality, uh, that first kiss with Melissa Gilbert? Um, you know, I, I think it was, um, <laughs> that was just a quick teaser of the interview with Dean Butler. Here we go with the rest of the interview. It's a fun one on That's Classic. Great. Uh, well, today on That's Classic, I have uh, another fun one. Uh, today, we have none other than Dean Butler, who played Almanzo Wilder on uh, Little House on the Prairie. So, uh, Dean, thanks for being here. Oh, John, my pleasure. And let me just say it before we start. You're one of the few people that's ever done an interview like this that's actually pronounced the character's name correctly. <laughs> um, to start, no, it, much differently than we did on the series. Okay. Anyway, yeah, so thank you for that. Oh, good. Yeah, well, you know what? It might it might be because I had Allison on the, on the show a couple of times, and she pronounces it pretty intensely like that. So that's probably where I'm getting it from. We'll, we'll see. But, um, so I'll tell you what, right out of the gates... I'm just curious because people, I'm sure, ask you this all the time. What was it like in reality, uh, that first kiss with Melissa Gilbert? Um, you know, I, I think it was... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I'm sort of, I, I'm sort of numb on the whole thing because um, there was so much buildup to it, and obviously, I've seen the scene many times through oh, the years, and um, sure. <clears throat> I mean, it was careful. I guess that's what it was. It was a, it was a careful kiss, and um, for a whole range of reasons that had. And that actually, when you think about it, and when I think about it, were very appropriate for not only for the characters, but for the show itself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, was really sort of right in sync with, I mean, it, Melissa and I were, I think, equally cautious and uncertain and... Um, well, there was a variance in age at that time, too, so I'm sure that... I, that was interesting in itself, you know. For well, the, the, age, the, the age, you're talking about the difference between the two of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the age difference between the two of us was everything about mm -hmm. why about why the kiss was careful, right. um, and you know, and I think there were so many things. I mean, we were surrounded by people. You know, in this intimate little moment that appears to be two people alone on a porch, there you know, there literally are a hundred people gathered around this moment on the other side of the camera. Oh in man. Including Melissa's mother, who cried like three times and blew takes because it was so jarring for her i suppose to see her little girl kissed for the first time wow in, a, in, in this kind of a public way um what does that do for you as an actor i mean when you hear the mom off on the side crying i mean well, that's pretty heavy yeah I, I always you know like i i barbara abelis was you know was uh a, 
you know, a very distinctive individual and I think had very strong opinions about what was, you know, what was right for her daughter and uh, or what the situation, I, you know, I, I think she had strong opinions. And sure, uh, you know, I, there was there really wasn't much to do, but just wind up and do it again. Yeah. And I think it was I think it was probably like on the fourth attempt that the kiss actually happened. Oh wow! Without without, without a cry in the background, <laughs> and I, I think and I think Barbara was. Uh, I think you know at one point I think she was you know she was asked to control herself. Oh my uh, gosh! You know, I mean, it just was just a, and I think and Melissa, for her part in all of this, you know, when you read her account of it, I mean, we didn't talk about it at all during that, you know, we were doing this, it just wasn't, there was no discussion about it. There was no, you know, how are we going to do this? And I think this was the thing that the age difference was so that there was no way to have that conversation. This Boy, was, that's going tough. To happen. it was just going to happen and it had to happen because it was on the schedule. It, it was going to happen. Yeah. But, but there was really no way to sort of, you know, how are we going to do this? Now, Michael had thoughts about how we should, you know, get to the actual kiss. And I think there was a thing about, you know, turning the head because we weren't, you know, in the right position and, you know, everyone was trying to make it work out. Wow. Um, you know, he had that, you know, he had that thought about how to play that moment. And I think Michael had really great instincts about this. I have to give him a lot of credit. You know, when you think about, I don't think in modern television history there had ever been a casting of that distinct where the, the age difference was so clearly distinct. I mean, this was different than, you know, M Melissa kissing someone who was 16 or 17. Oh, totally. You know, this is here. I'm 20. I'm I'm eight years older than she is. Uh, I, you know, I, I've had some life experience. She's never been on a date. She's, you know, all of these things. This casting, casting like this had never taken place in right. prime time or anywhere else for that matter. And I don't think you could ever do that casting today. Oh, no. I, I agree with you. Impossible. You yeah. could never put two people. Now, you know, eight years, 30 and 22, no problem. Oh, yeah. That's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Eight years, 23 and 15 is a big, even, you know, 24 and 16. Oh, that's it's huge. A big deal. Yeah, yeah, that really is. Well, you had a lot of pressure. I mean, seriously, you've got the mom crying. You've got Michael Landon saying, hey, try to angle it this way. You've got 100 cast people, you know, and family watching you. I'm sorry, that's really, really heavy. Yeah, it was, it was just, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a kiss on the back porch. Right. But, you know, but all the things that, all that that went with it combined to make it, I think, a very sweet and effective moment. Despite all the, despite all the pressure, I'm sorry, of my phone. I don't know if you're hearing my phone. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's okay. okay. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. Um, it but anyway, captured yeah. it, it. I'm sorry. It captured it, though. I mean, to all yeah. Little House fans, they. I mean, we all know that moment. I mean, I'm sorry. That's like yeah. iconic. Well, the the. I was I was looking at IMDb. I was going through some things the other day, and and 
IMDb rated it as the number one episode in the history of the series. Yeah. That that kiss was was the most watched or most engaged with episode among some very engaging episodes of the series. Right. Uh, some very engaging episodes, but that one really caught fire with people. NBC ran it three times in prime time that year. In addition to the premiere, it had the, it had a, a second airing and then the third summer rerun airing. Wow. Uh, so it clearly clicked with people it was a it was a huge audience. I think it was. I think we were the number one show of the week. Yeah, I I believe that I, totally without a doubt. Well, along those lines, what and I'm sure you've answered this a million times, but I'm just curious. What are for you your favorite scenes? I mean, people immediately go, "I bet you love the cinnamon chicken one," or you know whatever. But what for yeah. you were like the you know your favorite moments? Um, well, I think look looking at that episode in totality. Uh, that sweet 16 episode is a very, you know, is a, is a great episode for a whole range of reasons. Um, it's, it was the turning point moment in the series and the, the series mm -hmm. changed. Certainly Melissa's trajectory in the series changed in that moment. Definitely. You know, the, the pigtails are gone. She's wearing, you know, she's wearing little heels. The, the dresses are a little bit, you know, are she's wearing adult, much more adult clothing now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the series changed because at that moment, the scenes with Pa that were those sort of very lovely scenes that the series built its reputation on literally with, yeah. with, with Melissa and Michael so fantastic together, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Melissa's talked about this so often that the connection, the emotional connection that the two of them had was exceptional. And so that dynamic had really crafted and built the whole imagery of the series, the sweetness of the series. And with that kiss, Pa can't be that guy anymore. Right. There's a there's another for her. There there's another there's another man in the picture now for right. for her character for that character for Laura's character, and I think that that was a big turning point for for the series. Um, yeah. No, I agree. Was, yeah. Obviously, it was a big turning point for me. My involvement. Certainly. I knew this was going this direction, but you know, I really had no idea, John, where this, what this series. I knew it was popular. I knew it was well done. I knew it. Was, I just didn't know. I didn't know how huge it was well, in for you know for a range of audience members. So, so there's that episode. Yeah. Uh, another episode scene. There's a, I think, a wonderful scene at the end of Days of Sunshine, Days of Shadow, when, um, when Almanzo learns to walk again. Ah, wow, that's... Uh, gets him up out of his wheelchair, and they build the house, and Laura comes to see the house, and he stands up out of the chair and walks to her. That's a favorite moment. Um, Pretty emotional, I bet, too. Yeah, huh? no, it was nice. It was a nice moment. It's a really lovely moment. It was beautifully shot. It was beautiful. David Rose scored the scene beautifully. Um, you know, so many, 
so many wonderful moments on the show are precipitated by what David Rose did as a composer, mm-hmm. um, writing the underscore that gives the audience the emotional connection to what's going on. I agree with on you. Screen. Yeah. You know, it, screen music is very powerful. I, I always, um, David Rose made Little House emotionally gone with the wind mm-hmm. every week. Yeah, I agree. It's a major part of the series. I, yeah. I totally agree with you. Did, um, you know, thinking back to like your, your, your uh, first audition for the show, you know, you were saying, look, I, you know, I had no idea about Little House and that. I have read, and tell me, maybe I'm not right on this, but I had read that when you went for that first audition, you didn't really know Little House. You're like this 20-year-old guy, you know, uh, right. probably wasn't, you know, probably weren't the prime viewer at the time. You know, I mean, uh, is that true? As I as I always have said to people, I was watching Monday Night Football. Uh, yeah. By the time I became aware of Little House, it premiered on a Wednesday night, but NBC moved it to Monday nights to counter ABC's Monday Night Football. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I knew the series was there, but I... You know, I, I just I wasn't watching it. I, sure. I I obviously knew who Michael was because Michael was a massive television star. I you know you see these promos and you know who everybody is. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea of the texture of the show, the tone of it. That my agent at the time was, you know, one of the great agents, television agents of her era, a woman named Ina Bernstein. Wow. Um. She is. She has since passed, but mm-hmm. she was really one of the great agents uh, at ICM. Um, you know, in her in era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And she said to me when this interview came up, she said, "I watch Little House every Monday night. I cry every night, every Monday night watching this show. If wow. you get this show, you will do this show." <laughs> Oh my God. You know, you, and, and that's how she put it. You will do this show. Oh my you, gosh. Well, I, I obviously at that point in my, you know, I was, I would have been thrilled to be invited to be a part of anything. You sure. know, when you're starting out, you're, you're looking for a, a, a foothold anywhere you can get it. I, I had done a wonderful CBS movie of the week called forever uh, based mm-hmm. on the Judy Bloom novel Forever with Stephanie Zimbalist. Um, you know, but I, no one was beating the door down for me at that point to, and this was, you know, like a year later. Um, and I and you're in college, college, am I right? I was in college. I, yeah. was at, I was at University of the Pacific up in Northern California. I commuted down for a certain number of auditions um, at Ina's insistence. Um and Boy, I was, that's a big trip. Yeah, yeah, it was a six-hour drive. Yeah, in my in my little VW Bug, you know, uh, classic. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, did that. Um, yeah, it was just. Well, how did it go? What was the first audition? What was that whole process like then? Well, I think the you know that the first the that audition with our casting director, a woman named Susan Sukman, who was a had been casting the series, I think, since season three. Wow. Um, uh, Susie was lovely to meet with. Uh, Susan is still a very dear friend. Um, That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, yeah. No, she's she was she was she was wonderful for any actor to come in and meet with. Susan would have been a dream meeting. Wow. Um, she was warm, accessible. She made you comfortable um, immediately. I the thing that I always remember, John, is and I told the story many times, but it was indelible to me is the first time I came in the door, the stack of pictures. And this was a big casting for the show. Oh, yeah, all the headshots? Yeah. yeah. The stack of pictures was a foot high on her wow. table. Wow. So, you know, she was meeting everybody in that age range. Did and, you see um, some of the actors, like, that you kind of knew at that I time? Did. I, I didn't. I just saw the pictures, the, the yeah. stack of pictures. I And I didn't really want to know who was, you know. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. The stack of pictures. The second time I came back, the picture, the stack was about six inches high. Wow. And the third time I came back, it was, you know, two or three inches high. And the last time I came back to meet with Michael, there were four pictures on the table. Now, did you see the other pictures or have any idea who you were up against? I did not see the other pictures. I don't know that the room would have been. I don't think Susie ever would have been. Um, she never would have let me see that. I don't recall ever seeing anybody's picture. Wow. I just, I just the stack of pictures and... So there are four pictures fanned out on the table, turned upside down, didn't didn't see them. How intimidating is that as an actor? I got to tell you, it's like, let's make a deal or something. Well, wow. yeah, but, you know, I think the thing about that last meeting was meeting Michael. And, you yeah. know, and Michael was, Michael obviously was a massive television star. And in his life, in his person, in terms of how he presented there was nothing Charles Ingalls about this guy when he walked into a room. Wow. Actually, he was in the chair. He was on the couch when I, when I came into the room. You know, he got up and shook my hand. But the thing that got you, that you immediately picked up about Michael was this was a massive television star. I mean, this was like, you know, in the dictionary television star, Michael Landon's picture could be there. He had the gold Carrera glasses on. Wow. You know, and the shirt opened halfway down his chest and the, you know, the, the boots sprayed on with a gun and the snakeskin <laughs> boots. Oh, and coming in the door, the green Ferrari was parked outside oh my the gosh. At MTM um, and the cigarette in his teeth, which was a regular fixture. He, you know, he held a cigarette in his teeth as he as he talked to people. Oh, really? He, I, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. He, he was... Um, he was a presence. And then, of course, and then this, you know, deep, dark tan, because he'd probably been in Hawaii at the Kahala, where right. he spent many uh, off-seasons on vacation with his family. So, wow. he, you know, he had this very dark tan. I mean, I don't think Michael ever wore makeup. He didn't have to wear makeup. I mean, he, right. you know, right. he, he, was, he was really tanned. And that hair. Uh, God. And the hair, yeah, with yeah. the ash brown dye number two, which, you know, at the time, <laughs> you, you come to know that. Uh, and no one touched his hair, no hair. And we had some of the best hairdressers in town working on our show. Wow. You know, Larry Germain was like one of the top old school movie hairdressers. Gladys Witten did Nick Nolte's hair. I mean, Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, we had great hair people on the show, but he was like, nobody no. touched Michael's hair. <laughs> <laughs> he touched Michael's hair, and I think he did that. You know, he brushed in the ash brown dye number two on his own with a toothbrush, and but he probably wow. he, he didn't do it 
on the stage so he could see it. He came. He was brushed in when he got there. Oh, funny. Um, yeah. I mean, he was he was quite a presence. And I just remember him being lovely. To re- and the instruction that I had gotten before going in the door was, whatever you do for Michael, don't act. Well, no. I, I am. And that's a great direction to give. Unfortunately for me, you know, I, I'm a bit of a ham and I work pretty big, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably much better suited to working on a stage than, than on a, than on a, in front of a camera, just tonally in terms of how I work. Yeah. So to turn off everything and just be present, it was a great lesson. And I, it was in my head as I went in the door and I, you know, I'm doing that. And I just remember, looking out of the corner of my eye because you've got this peripheral. I'm talking to Susan, reading the scene and here's Michael with his, you know, uh, his hand up to his oh, eye me in his hand. I'm sure he did it to everybody, but you know, but that's but what it still isn't. I mean, that yeah, in itself no, would be hard to maintain c- concentration. Yeah. So anyway, when it was over, he, he's, you know, he was very complimentary. He was very nice. And he just said, what are you doing in two weeks? And uh, what are you doing on May 20th? And I think I said, you know, I'm graduating from college and, you know, I'll be going through finals that week. What an idiot. You know, you just say, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wherever, wherever mm. I need to be, I could be on, you know. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but anyway, he, he said, well, no, I know what it was. It was May 15th or something. What are you doing May 15th? So I'm taking finals. He said, well, I think we can wait a week. And. Wow. And he thanks very much. And I walked out the door. Now, I, I had been through this situation before, John, where I had been essentially offered a part in the room and didn't get it. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm just really, and the phone didn't ring for two weeks. Oh, my gosh. Are you joking? With the offer. So, you know, there was not a peep for two weeks on this. Wow. And I'm, I'm back in school. I mean, this is April, you know, I'm, it's this April. I am getting, I'm just flipping out here thinking I'm probably calling Ina every, you know, every 12 hours saying, you know, have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? Yeah. Uh, you know, and she said, you've got to be, you know, and she was such an old pro. I mean, you know, you've got to be patient, darling. You've got to be patient. Oh, jeez. You know, two weeks, I'm, I'm, you know, really flipped here. When it finally happened, I was just, you know, overjoyed, John, as you can imagine. I mean, so I went through, I turned 23, went through my college graduation ceremony, and on the following Monday, I report to work in Simi Valley, uh, you know, to join the cast of Little House. It was a three-day window that was really an extraordinary time for me. Oh, and, um, wow. What a change. I mean, it changed your life. It, oh, there's no question <laughs> that that meeting with Michael or the ensuing fight, the years that followed were absolutely a life changer. There, nothing that's really been meaningful professionally in my life that's come along has not had a little house connection to it. And so I get it in some shape or fashion. It, the show was that, strong for people. I mean, look, I think when I was cast in Into the Woods to on Broadway, I don't think Stephen Sondheim had been watching Little House reruns, but mm-hmm. 
but the fact that I got there was a result of a job that Little House was a very big part in helping me get, mm-hmm. which put me in a voice to be singing well enough to go in and sing for Stephen Sondheim and get that job. So that's a huge um, play, by the way. Yes. Yeah. So um, did did he? Well, tell me this. Uh, I, I realize that he, he launches you basically into this this career. Launched everybody basically who was on the show. I mean, right. uh, you, French, you know, Victor French had a career, but no one else really on the show had had much. You know, had had a major career until Michael said, "You're it. You're it." Well, yeah. but I I looked over your you know I've looked over your resume and what you've done and everything like that, and maybe I'm reading too heavily into it. And if I am, please tell me. But I feel like he's influenced you way beyond just uh, as, as you know, an actor on Little House. I feel like he influenced you because you went on to direct, produce. It feels like you kind of, you know, you were, you were inspired there. Is that, is that true? Well, I think watching Michael work was just, was magical. You know, mm-hmm. I, you can't, you know, this, this career you have to have been around it to really know how incredibly accomplished he was at what he was doing. He was watching Michael direct, watching Michael, you know, sitting in the director's chair with his yellow legal pad, writing next week's script or two weeks, you know, coming script or rewriting somebody else's script. Wow. He was, you know, he was just an absolute workaholic. He -hmm. was totally focused on this, um, on the series. He gave everything of himself to it. Um, And the certainty that he had about what he was doing, you know, he wrote wonderful dialogue, um, simple, clear dialogue. When he directed, he cut the show in the camera. There wasn't really a lot. There were not a lot of options for editors to make choices. He really, he really gave them what he wanted them to have in order to cut the show the way he saw it in his head. That's wild. Uh, he, I mean, he, he. It's been said that Michael even scored the show in his head, where he knew. What he knew David Rose so well, he wrote it knowing how David would spot the episode. Oh my gosh, Office. seriously, he knew how David would spot. Didn't know the melody David was going to write, but he knew where David would come in and and where he'd go out. It, he was ex, he was just extraordinary. I, I've I've never been around. And look, there's some very talented people. Who work oh, out certainly, there. certainly. You know, there's no question. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be so, you know, uh, sycophantic as to say that, you know, that Michael's the greatest actor, director, writer, producer that's ever worked in town. But it's a pretty short list of sure. people who were as good as he was at what and understood what he was trying to do mm-hmm. so clearly. You know, Michael never disappointed his audience. He, no. He gave his audience what they came to see. Right. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. And he was not afraid of that at all. And he made no apologies for it. He was very clear. He would say often, you know, I know that half the audience or more 
couldn't care less about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But I know there's another segment of that audience, a huge segment of that audience who can't get enough of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, in an era when you're only, when you're competing with three major networks, a fourth at the end. Right. uh, You know, that's, that's pretty much job security for someone like Michael who, and they knew the demographics played it out. I mean, they, they knew who was watching. Michael knew who was watching. Yeah. He he read rating sheets incredibly. And, you know, he was very analytical about the way he read a rating sheet and they showed up. They they were on the set every Tuesday. He knew exactly what the overnights were and he could predict what they would do two days later when the full number came in, but the, you know, he could analyze overnights very, very, clearly and he knew what he had every yeah. week he knew wow tell me this with uh with melissa gilbert um you know I, i've heard that you know initially your relationship obviously you're eight years difference but it's like you said it's like 16 and what 24 or whatever um well uh, and i guess even earlier than that actually before that 15 and 23 what, yeah. yeah 15 and 23 what um i heard you know initially it's like you don't have too much in common whatever but you became very good friends how long did it take before the two of you started to have like a bond so to speak well i think i think mm-hmm. any any connection that we have that's meaningful really happened more after the series than mm-hmm. during the series interesting yeah i i don't think that um i mean look when we realized that we were i think you know, the, okay, the, I think probably the energy or the commitment to it probably came up a little bit when it was clear that in the show's ninth season, they were going to repackage the show. Michael felt he had done everything he could do as oh. Charles Ingalls. Yeah. So it was time for him to step away. NBC wasn't ready to say goodbye to it yet. And so they did this Days of Sunshine, Days of Shadow episode in season eight where you know, every conceivable thing that could go wrong went wrong. And you have this very heartrending, you know, uh, resolve that where everything works out well in the end is, of course, network series television always does or generally. Um, so I think they had confidence that they could do this with us. And I think when we started doing all the promotion, the gallery sessions, all of that, I think that, um, you know, at that point, I think we knew that we, well, look, I always knew that I, I needed a connection with her in order for this to work. Of course. Um, you know, so, but, you know, we never really were close while we were doing the show. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of press that got done where Melissa would talk about, you know, the fact that she wasn't into the hayseed type and, you know, this is, Laura loves a hayseed, but Melissa isn't interested in hayseeds. <laughs> you know, she did that, you know, that right. kind of, that kind of press, which was, you know, always, um, you know, was very esprit de core building. Yeah. When that, when that stuff is going on. Sure. You know, certainly. You got it. You got to feel great when you, you know, read in people magazine that that's how she feels. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Um, That's rough. You know, yeah. and it just was, it was unfortunate that she did that kind of press sometimes. But 
I also I knew that I'm the I, you know I knew my job was to be the man who loves Laura. That's right. that's my job. It's great yeah. acting because as a, as a viewer, I will tell you, it's not like you sit there and go, do they really like each other or not? I mean, it, it, in the show, it's totally believable. It's like I see it. The bonds there, the chemistry's there. So I mean, that's really. Really great acting. I don't think there's a Little House fan out there that would go, oh, I totally noticed that, you know? I think, uh, you know, I think when when all was said and done, I think, you know, she and I have had conversations where we acknowledged that it wasn't the easiest time. Right. Um, but we've also both acknowledged and said, you know, said to each other, we did the very best we could in the moments that we had, we both gave it our all and audiences seem to have really liked it. They certainly did. So, yeah. So, you know, have I thought, well, wouldn't it have been great if, if Melissa had even been 18 when we were doing this? Sure. Where there'd been maybe some life experience and, you know, for her, some life experience and, and, that where we could have had more of a personal relationship. It just, at that point in time, it simply wasn't possible to have a personal relationship. Yeah, I can see it. I can totally see that. You just, you just can't. And, no, you, you can't. But that, but you know, but I have to say, I really think it worked for the show. That And, and I'm, again, I'm going to come back to Michael. Just genius. He, he really... He knew what it needed. He knew it could never be hot. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there couldn't be any sense that there was, you know, real heat between the two of us. That right. just would have been so inappropriate for the show. I agree. Uh, I agree. And you have, you have a natural, I, I mean, I've watched you many times in these episodes and stuff. You have like a natural boyish quality about you anyway that right. I think also lends itself really well. But, you know, along those lines, by the way, I, it's kind of funny. I felt like you were caught, you know, I was, I was looking at the show, I was looking at different episodes, and I feel like you were caught just age-wise between, like, the adult actors and the kid actors. It's yeah, like, and there's, you know, there you are, Dean. And what is that, was that kind of a... Interesting no, I, spot to be. John, I think you hit that right on the head. I felt I was a man between two worlds. Basically. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I was never going to be with the kids because mm-hmm. they were going to, you know, they were basically in junior high and high school. Right. So uh, I was never going to be with the kids and it would have been inappropriate to be with the kids. Yeah. But, you know, and, and I wasn't, and the rest of the cast was, you know, this was all seasoned pros. They'd been doing this for a long time. Yeah, right. I sort of felt like I was, I many times, look, I had nice relationships with people. Sure. But in terms of sort of life and experience, I felt like I was a bit out on an island mm-hmm. um, with from everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I was more, I had more life experience than the kids but I wasn't anywhere near in the same ballpark as most of the of the other cast members, older cast members that I was working with. Who would, they were? It was just an entirely different life that we yeah. were all living. So yeah, I think that was interesting. I think you know I was raised in a large multi generational family, so I had 
connections with people, you know, from the time I was a small child, I had connections with people in their eighties down to their, you know, to my parents yeah. uh, and cousins. So, you know, I was raised to be, to be respectful of, mm-hmm. of elder people in my life, people who are old, with more life experience. Um, I was raised to learn how to have conversations with those people, even though I may not have known what I was talking about, but I could right. have a conversation with people. So I wasn't intimidated by older people per se. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, what can I say to these people? I didn't have, it was none of that. Right. I didn't have sure. Any of those issues, but life experience, I was in a different world than, you know, than, than these, than most of these actors that I was, uh, that I was working yeah, with. And they've been on the show forever when you right. walk in now, the door. The person, I, the person I had the most in common with because we came in together was Lucy Flippin, who was playing my sister, Eliza Jane. And I yeah. absolutely adored working with her. She is a dear friend to this day. Uh, I've always wow. said to Lucy, if I could have picked an older sister, is I'm the oldest of, in my family, I'm the oldest of three children. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could have picked an older sister, boy, I, I would pick someone like Lucy. I just think she's amazing. And she was so sweet to me and good to me. And, you know, we really like held on to each other because that's pretty cool. You know, it, we were the newcomers mm-hmm. and we knew that. And, um, and we, you know, we, we, we took strength from each other you know, uh, along those, uh, you know, because of that. So, um, you know, Lucy was, you know, Lucy is what? Lucy's probably 10 years older than I am. Oh, wow. So, um, so there was an age difference there, but, you know, we're playing, we're playing siblings. It doesn't, he was just so sweet. You couldn't not adore her. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that's a natural. Yeah. What, um, uh, one other thing I was curious about is after the show's over, you go on and you end up doing like the uh, six part uh, narration of like uh, the what was it the um, was it the DVDs or the I, I might be confusing the two because you did. No, no, right. Well, I did. Right. Yeah. So I did. Earlier, I had done like six or seven hours of bonus content for a company called Imavision, which at that point had the series rights for DVD oh, okay. for entertainment with NBC. And then when Lionsgate acquired the DVD rights to Little House in time for the 40th anniversary, um, they had hired a producer named Gary Leva to create a six-part documentary called uh, the, the Little House Phenomenon. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and I had been contacted by um, by Lionsgate to sort of be the conduit to the cast. Wow! Wow! Um, and I've had um, the chairman of Lionsgate, John Feltheimer, was my first manager. Oh my gosh! What a small world! Come so, on! Yeah. So you know, John had uh, no. I don't think John had any knowledge of that, but we were not afraid to reach out to Lionsgate knowing that they were going to be doing something. And we, you know, I created some rapport there with the people who were going to be running this project. And, 
so I threw my hat in the ring to sort of help wrangle the cast. And, um, and then with Gary, when I met Gary, I, I, I really, you know, put it in my agreement with them that I really want to narrate this documentary. And I think, I think that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a challenge for him because he, he needed to interview me for it. Right. Uh, and you don't generally have someone who's on camera also narrating, but I wasn't going to let that go. So Gary was very gracious and he, he just sort of made that work and I got to narrate it. And that's uh, cool. I, I did the sessions. I did the sessions when I was working on the Faraday show at golf channel in Orlando and in their audio department. And we did the, you know, the, the, we did the phone session so that he could direct it. And he was, he was great. And he did a beautiful job with that. He wow. Did that's a, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, well, wait, there's that. And then I, I, um, what is it? Uh, God, it's going to get, I thought you did separate documentaries though. Too. It was like yeah, little, there were two. So there was, Life of Laura yeah. Ingalls or am I yeah, right? So the first one was, the first one was done with the Almanzo and Laura Ingalls Wilder yeah. Association in Malone, New York. Gotcha. Where Almanzo's childhood home was, and we called it Almanzo Wilder Life Before Laura. That That's it. Right. It's really about, it's Farmer Boy, which is Laura's second book. Oh, yeah. My kids loved that book. So loved it. it's a, it's really a great book. And, and Laura writes so lovingly about food in, uh, in Farmer Boy. Yes, totally. Uh, because Almanzo's parents were exceptional farmers and had this, just this bounty of food all the time. In contrast with Laura, whose father and mother struggled as farmers always. Right. And they were starving a good portion of the time growing wow. up. I mean, they, they were, I mean, they suffered from malnutrition. They, you know, Michael, and look, she didn't write it that way, but the, sort of the, you know, the history really shows that as a family, they really struggled. Laura was the only sister to reproduce. I think that, you know, the other sisters, well, Mary, Mary went blind. Right, um, right. You know, Carrie never had children. Um, they all look sort of emaciated. And mm -hmm. I think it maybe had an effect on their, just on their ability to function and reproduce. But Oh, oh I'm uh, sure. Yeah. So um, Michael always did it. So there was, there was no one ever went hungry on Little House in the regular, you know, in the regular cast. There was always enough food on the table. Everyone had enough to eat. Um, they had shoes on. You know, no one was running around barefoot. They, no, they, they looked great. Everyone was. They had a lot, but they had enough. Yeah, and that was yeah. very important to Michael to draw that distinction. Um, let's see. I, I'm digressing on your question, though. Oh no, I, it's okay. I was just saying, how did you know the fact that you did these other documentaries? I mean, you're not just like I. I was an actor on the show. I mean, you're you're in there deep. I mean, doing both of these documentaries, I mean, I think that's pretty well. And the other one was about Laura Ingalls Wilder called Little House on the Prairie, The Legacy of Laura Ingalls Wilder and um, Little House on the Prairie, The Legacy of Laura Ingalls Wilder. And that was really a survey of her writing journey. Hmm. Uh, and I did that with uh, Friendly Family Productions, which is the rights holder to Little House. Right. Um, and... Yeah, I traveled all over the Midwest and shot in all these different places and commissioned a lot of animation to be done. And I uh, 
produced it with my friend Robin Bernheim, who is a wonderful writer. Um, and you know, we had a, we had a really good time doing that. But it was a survey documentary. It was. I don't think that you know, for people who really know Laura's story, I don't. Th- we didn't break any new ground here. Mm-hmm. We did talk about. We talked about the relationship between Laura and her daughter Rose in a way that was not really part of the conversation. It was always, you know, Laura wrote these books and Rose, who was an accomplished writer herself, was was around, but she didn't have anything to do with it. It was very clear that Rose had a lot to do with the writing of the Mm -hmm. books and mother and daughter collaborated sometimes, you know, not without conflict. But they they collaborated when PBS did their piece this last year. Their, I saw uh, it. Yes. So the American Masters, which was amazingly the number one American Masters episode in the series history. Okay, that's amazing because that is an incredible series. Yes. This this bigger ratings, higher streaming. In the entire series with the hundreds and hundreds of episodes they've done with great featuring great artists, nobody did better than Laura Ingalls Wilder. That Prairie to Page American Masters, number one in the history of American Masters. That is incredible. Yeah. I didn't know that. It tells you, it, it just tells you how deep this vein is for what she did. And yep. the way she did it. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that we're all really proud of, and it's something that uh, when I really started paying attention to the books, I hadn't read the books before doing the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't read them till after I was done with the series. Yeah. Um, but when it became really clear, John, after watching, being in the series and reading the books, is Michael captured the spirit of the books beautifully. He obviously... Mm-hmm did characters and, you know, that were never in the books that Laura didn't deal with. Laura lived in a very small little world. Michael right. needed to take that small world and grow it a little bit in order to do 10 seasons of shows. Oh, definitely. But the thread, the major threads of the series uh, or of the books were pulled in the series. And that dominantly revolves around Laura and what happened to her mm-hmm. and her eventual marriage to Almanzo. Uh, that was the major thread. He pulled that thread. I'm incredibly grateful to have been part of that thread, uh, oh, that, yeah. which has connected me to audiences, you know, just all over the world. Literally, it's really, yeah. I mean, I got, I get mail from all over the world still. Um, When I went to Japan to do West Side Story, you know, the, obviously the advanced promotion, that's the reason I got West Side Story. You played Tony. I played Tony in West Side Story. The reason I got it was because Little House was a huge, huge success in Japan. and. It became a huge success in Japan because after the Second World War, the U.S. State Department, in looking for ways to heal the relationship between Japan and the United States, had Laura's book, The Long Winter, translated into Japanese. And The Long Winter is all about this 
devastating, you know, for those who don't know it, this devastating long winter of blizzards where they all almost starve to death in December. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. Yeah, it's, I've read it. Yeah. It's a great book. And I think the State Department's thinking was, let's have the Japanese people, because they, they have nothing. They've been destroyed and devastated. Let's give them hope that this can, they can come back from this. They can, they can be okay. And obviously the United States is pouring, in the Marshall Plan, pouring millions and millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, into all of these countries that were right. defeated in the war to help rebuild them. The Japanese people developed a connection to Laura Ingalls Wilder and the Little House books because of that translation. And then since, you know, then the years that followed, all the books were translated in Japanese. And the, the following of Japanese people that make these sojourns to the United States to go to the places Laura lived and wrote about. That's incredible. Many, many years was pretty exceptional. Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Well, listen, yeah. you know, one thing I we we did we've talked Little House the whole way, and I've loved it. I mean, believe me, it's great. But also, I mean, just to kind of send people, give them an idea of where you went after, so to speak. Um, I saw that you did the new Gidget show, which, by the way, I I, I got to tell you, Moon Doggy was always when I think back to like Gidget and all that. That was always my favorite character. So yeah. what what I when I've seen like. You know, your moon doggy. I think I just thought that was really cool. Did you enjoy that? And and oh, also okay. William Shallard, who I've always thought was an incredible actor. Um, Trouble with the triples. I mean, the guy's done it. You Patty Duke show. What the heck was that like? Oh, he was awesome. I mean, Bill Shallard. I and Bill was the president of the Screen Actors Guild. At that, yeah. You know, during those years, maybe he had been. He did a Little House episode. I think he was president of the guild. Um, the great thing, Bill had this amazing, Bill knew exactly who he was as an actor and wow. he knew why, Bill knew very well why he was hired, you know, to do whatever it was that he was doing. Yeah. But so, you know, Bill was solid. He was responsible. He was thoughtful. He was sensitive. He was, you know, he, he just, he was the dad that any young woman, well, anybody oh. would like to have Bill Schaller as their dad. He was, of course. He, was, he was great. But when the camera was off, Bill had a wicked, wicked sort of twisted sense of humor. <laughs> that would, that would, that would come out and Karen Richmond, who played Gidget, had a wonderful relationship with Bill. And the things that he would say to her, uh, I mean, I can't repeat the things, the kinds of things wow. he would say to wow. her. Now, Karen and I are contemporaries. So there was, you know, that was such a breath of fresh air doing that because now I'm working with a woman who I can, you know, who there's where a connection is essential oh, and, um, and, you know, reasonable. Right. And um, so uh, she's, she has remained a great friend uh, all these That's years awesome. later. Yeah. But Bill, he was tremendous. And I, I mean, just a lovely, lovely man. That yeah. is too well, funny. Great time. Yeah. The the other one, and you did a lot, just so everybody knows, like, who's the boss, Jag? I mean, it, it goes on and on, Love Boat. But Murder, She Wrote, 
I know that you did that. And obviously, Angela Lansbury passed, you know, just recently. And that, I think, is top of mind for a lot of people. Did right. you have an opportunity to to know her at all or just like that? You know, just, just during the, the few scenes that we had together, I would just mm -hmm. say about, uh, yeah, I mean, she's iconic. Um, she is. Yeah. She was, she was iconic. She will be, she remains iconic. Um, Angela Lansbury had this wonderful, wonderful ability to make connections with the people who were guesting on her show. And every week she had a dozen new people. Oh, easily. And new people showing up. And there were many people who repeated and didn't like my wife, Catherine did three different murders. She wrote. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I think, I think she did three. I did one. I played, you know, I came in to be, and I only got to do it because the actor now I, his name escapes me, Jeff Conaway, who oh, yeah. played sure. Francis's husband on the show. And of course, mm -hmm. Jeannie is just, you know, one of the sexiest, most adorable women you could ever be around. So that was a fun week to be able to just hang with her. She's just lovely. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and she had, of course, done multiple episodes. So she had a nice relationship with Angela and she'd hired, been hired because of her wonderful image and sweetness. Yeah. Uh, she was, she was just delightful. Angela was amazing. Everyone on that set was great. I mean, they, look, when you're doing something, when you're involved in something and you have a hit on your hands, um, you know, there's a lot of confidence that, that flows around those people and that situation and murder. She wrote was a very confident set. Oh, you know, they, they, and she had a wonderful way of when she was there, she was such a trooper. I mean, she, you know, she was there for everybody's scene. She did all the off camera. She did. She was, you know, at that stage of her life, she could have been excused for, you know, for stepping away. She was doing the off cameras. You're telling me that they didn't have somebody step in. Well, they could have, but I think she really felt like it was important for her to be there. Wow. For people. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I just think she was a pro, such a pro that way. And so beloved by people around her. I'm sorry. I didn't get to do more than the one, but maybe Jeff Conaway got healthy again. And they, you know, and they, they brought you, I don't know if the character yeah. ever appeared again. I have no idea, but it was a great yeah. experience. That's, yeah. that's really cool. And this yeah. is a personal one that for me, just cause I was a, a bit of a fan of Buffy. Sure. Um, you know, obviously you played Buffy's dad. Um, right. What? Uh, mostly what? absent dad. <laughs> yeah. Mostly absent dad. I only did five of them, but yeah. you know, but, um, I, you know, I thought it was, I loved being a part of that. And I think it, I, I've often thought in my career, I've had the, I have been connected to three different generational group, uh, three different iconic female characters from different eras. Yeah. Obviously, Laura Ingalls is an iconic female character. Gidget is an iconic female character and Buffy is an iconic female character. Uh, so, you know, husband to two father to another, um, you know, I just, that was, a that was a one. Now when I did that the first time, John, 
uh, I joined, came into that cast. They hadn't premiered yet. So no one knew anything about this show. Oh, wow. I remember showing up uh, to do that. And I had never experienced a crew that was just buzzing with excitement about how great this was going to be. Oh, wow. They knew they had some, they knew they had something huge on their hands and nobody had seen it yet. And they were incredibly confident about it. Wow. Um, and it's just, you know, this is so great. You're going to love this. I mean, and you know, actors, the first people you deal with are the, are the makeup and hair people. Right. You know, you'll meet the second maybe, but you know, you're, you're going into makeup and hair. This hair and makeup department was so high on this show. They were they would have been out on the corner <laughs> yelling and holding signs. Oh my gosh. Empire Slayer when it premieres. And when you saw it, it was just like quirky and dark and and nothing like the movie that had preceded it. Right. Right. Ross Whedon had this sort of bombastic comedy thing going, and then it got dark and moody. And it's not that it wasn't funny. It definitely had its humor, but it was a darker kind of humor. It and, was. It was. Yeah. I just think brilliant. And he was, you know, look, and obviously he's had some issues. Um, no, I know. He has dealt with female cast. Yes. Uh, but he was a, he just, as an actor on his set, he was a wonderful director. And yeah. He, he knew exactly what he wanted to get and he knew how to ask for it. And he is a guy like Michael Landon who really understood the camera and, mm -hmm. and understood editorial extremely well and knew about the pieces that he needed and could, he could grab things that were perhaps outside the context of a scene specifically. And he could get, ask you to do things that would give him stuff. I was, Oh, I was very impressed with that. Wow. And that's that was a very cool cast too. Young hip. Uh, that was a really smart group of people. Oh my gosh. It's such a cool yeah. cast. You kidding me? Yeah. I, yeah. That talk about people I'd love to have on. Um, so, uh, just to kind of close out, because uh, I appreciate that you're taking the time that you have, what I, I kind of offer this to everyone that's on the show is, what would you say to the, you know, in your case, the Little House on the Prairie fans, what would you want to say to them uh, just on any, on any level? Um, I, I, I'm, I always uh, say to people, I'll say to them now for you, with you, John, I am so grateful for the, the well, the blessing of being, and I'm not a religious person, you know, I use the word mm -hmm. blessing, but um, I am so grateful for the opportunity I had to be part of this beautiful, beautiful family drama. Um, and the people that I have met through the years. And this is, I'm in my 43rd year of association with Little House. Wow. You know, when we celebrate our 50th, it'll be my 45th year. Um, yeah. it, the, the, the love and affection and the multi-generational connection that exists. You know, I've done all the events that we, we do lots of events around the country and, 
I can't tell you the number of times I've signed the book for a little girl that was given to her by her mother who received it from her mother. Oh, so wow. you have three generations of people reading the same book, loving it, sharing it. And mm. I think, you know, and Little House that, you know, the pandemic as as much as it was a, obviously a, a very jarring time for sure. our country, brought people back to Little House in a really uh, powerful way. And I can see it. Yeah. I mean, people needed to feel some sense of comfort and warmth and community around them. And Little House, and look, all when you love a television show, you, fi you find the things that you love in it and it's your old friend and you watch it again and again and again. That's correct. Little House has that has made that connection with huge numbers of people. Um, and I'm just incredibly grateful for it. I, I I'll always have said, I know that the, you know, when, when I finally breathe my last breath, the first line of my obituary is going to include little house on the prairie. I wow. it just, there's just no way it can't. And um, I will be very, very, grateful for that. Michael said the show will outlive all of us. At the time he said that to me, I was 25 years old. I thought, <laughs> you know, that may be a little hyperbole. Right. You know, 43 years later, there is no doubt in my mind that this show will survive all of us. And That's incredible. It, will, it will keep moving on into the technologies, the technologies that however it evolves, distribution evolves, but Little House seems to be one of those shows that's going to make that translation. And in any event, I hope it does. It certainly has up to this point. You know, now we're streaming on three different services. Um, wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I, I'm just incredibly grateful for it, John. And having the opportunity to talk to you about it, thank you for asking. Oh. I love, love talking Jeez. about it. It's just been the gift of a lifetime. I can see that. Well, thanks a bunch, Dean, like a bunch for being on the show. I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I could have talked to you for another hour easily. So, so well, well, we, let's just quit while the getting's good. Exactly. All right. <laughs> see you, Dean. Thank you so much. Take, thank you very much, John. Thanks for coming. And uh, please check us out also on YouTube.com slash That's Classic TV, where you can actually watch and see the celebrities that are on the show. Thanks again. Bye-bye.